Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at WCEV1450.com. If you are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. We're on every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And you can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And you can also check out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe when you get there, wherever you get your podcast. So iTunes, TuneIn, uh, Google Play, SoundCloud, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And last but not least, if you'd like to give us a call throughout the course of tonight's discussion, you can do so at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Good Monday. Yes, good Monday evening to everyone. Uh, Radio Islam family, now, we all know about AA and AAA and 9-volt, right, and even car batteries, right? Uh, we, we know about those. Those are, are, are common things to us. But what we probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about is the batteries of today. Um, the batteries that we see today have pretty much been around for, for they've been around for, for a while. And uh, energy storage, it continues to move forward, and it moves forward by researchers, by people who, are, who, who dedicate the time, they have the skill and the knowledge uh, to, to build on what was to give us what is. Like, who saw a Tesla coming, right? Uh, well, maybe some folks did. But uh, that may not be the, uh, the anomaly. It may be much more of, of the norm uh, as we move forward. But anyway... Today we have joining us in studio, Ravindra uh, Kempaya. He is a PhD student at the University of Illinois, uh, Chicago, UIC, working in lithium-ion. Is it lithium-ion? Lithium-ion battery materials. He is a materials researcher and completed his first MSc from the University of Waterloo, Canada, and second MSc from the University of Maryland. Ravindra, uh, he's also said that we can call him Ravi as well. Uh, he holds the current Guinness World Record for the longest journey on an electric bicycle. He's passionate about electric vehicles and the future of energy storage technologies. Welcome to Radio Islam. Thank you so much, Tariq. Thank you for having me here, and it's a pleasure. Thank you. Yes, yes. So let, let's start with the really important thing, the Guinness. Uh, <laughs> you're a Guinness record holder. Um, tell us a bit about that. How did, how did that happen? That's right. Um, so... Back in 2016, uh, late 2015, I had this idea that, you know, um, it all started actually back in 2013. Mm -hmm. I was just getting into the PhD program, and I didn't really want to yield to the societal norm, which is to have a car to commute everywhere. Right. And I thought, you know, if you live in a city like Washington, D.C., or Chicago, or New York, or San Francisco, mm -hmm. There has to be a better way than just to use car. Right. And the way we use gasoline in this country is not sustainable. It is leading to geopolitical issues, wars, so many other complicated stuff. Millions of lives have been lost in the process. So I seriously thought about it, and then I came across this wonderful um, bicycles called electric bicycles. Mm -hmm. They have a small battery and a motor to assist you. So it makes you like a Tour de France rider. <laughs> You're just a normal person, but it makes you like a really superman. Yeah. And I got one. I was so fascinated by the technology, and then, you know, I learned more about it. I made good friends in the industry, and then I thought this is something that should be promoted in the, for the long term. Yeah. And I saw what could be done, and I realized that, you know, if we could set some kind of world record, then it will catch the attention of people and the community of bikers and it's ra bike, you know, racing cyclists and all these people. Mm -hmm. So I biked from Madison, Wisconsin, all the way to San Diego, crisscrossing the country. 2016 was the 100th anniversary of National Park Service. So I biked from Madison to the border of Canada and the U.S. There's a Voyagers National Park there. Wow. And then to North Dakota, South Dakota, we have Badlands National Park and Mount Rushmore. I visited that place, and then to Rocky Mountains in Colorado. From there, I went to Grand Teton, Yellowstone, Wyoming, 
Montana, the, the top of Montana Glacier National Park, right. and then crossing Idaho, Portland, and the whole Pacific 101 all the way down to San Diego. So it was 5,100 miles in 32, 32 days of riding, accounting for 170 miles of riding every day. And imagine a normal person wouldn't be able to do it but if you're on an e-bike, you can do it. Even a normal amateur person like me can do it. Yeah. And that brought a lot of attention to the company, to the community, to the e-bikes. So that the whole process of verification with Guinness took a year. They, ha I know, I recorded the whole ride on a video, in a GoPro. Mm -hmm. Had to get fitness certifications from e every day, you know, from two people, unknown people that I was there riding. They saw me riding. Right. And then had to submit receipts of my food and hotel stay and all that. So the whole process took like in six to eight months. So finally, I did get the record verified. So it is, yeah. Wow. Wow. So you did that, you did that ride um, by yourself? Uh, it was a solo ride, but I had a support vehicle following me, okay. carrying my gear, food, and okay. you know, other stuff. Right. But it was a solo ride. That must have been quite an experience. It is. I, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity because I've seen this country like you know very few people have seen. Yeah. I've seen, been to some of the most beautiful places. If you go to Wyoming and Montana, mm -hmm. those parts of the country are absolutely magnificent. Um, so in that scale, the cities look like a small minuscule, and mm. and you know it's it's um, you realize there's so much more to this country. And the the most amazing thing is to travel 50 to 100 miles. The cost of electricity was only 4.8 dollars. In what kind of vehicle Say for 4.8 4 dollars can you travel 50 100 miles? That's amazing. Yeah, so that's the wow. impact of electric vehicles, batteries that can do in our lives. Um, so then I realized there's no other vehicle that can even come close to the efficiency of a small battery-operated vehicle. Mm. And that's why I believed, okay, this is the future, you know, sustainable future. If we can't, you know, if we, if we have to keep our oceans clean uh, without killing animals, we have to embrace sustainable transport and electric vehicles, batteries mm. are really important in that direction. So how have, um, in, in your research uh, and just what's in the industry right now, now I realize that there's, there is a trickle down effect generally where That's you have right. the uh, newer technologies as they get ironed out, they're usually either military or industrial uh, applications and then they seem to find their way into the uh, into the uh, mass marketplace. Um, what are some of the advancements in battery storage? You're talking about a small battery that powered your e-bike, e yeah. right? Uh, and so we could we could uh, kind of extrapolate that to many other different applications as well, right? Sure. Uh, what are what are some of the other um, battery storage uh, um, technologies? Yeah, technologies that that we should be paying attention to? Sure, that's a great question, and you're absolutely right. What was developed by NASA made it to our you know, daily lives, the composites and so many other devices. Yeah. So right now, people are working on batteries. When people think of batteries, they think of AA or AAA batteries. Right. That is the nickel or you know, alkaline batteries. Yeah. The lithium-ion batteries are those that are found in our cell phones and laptops. Right. And so to put it in scale, to put it in perspective, the daily consumption of Chicago electricity, the whole city, if you put all the lithium batteries in the world, okay, every, every one of them connected and then just power the, try to power the city, it will only last 16 hours. All the batteries in the world. All the lithium-ion batteries in the world, including every car, everything you can think of, you connect them, and it'll, it cannot power the city of Chicago for more than 16 hours. Mm. So lithium-ion batteries are becoming popular because they're energy dense, you know, and they're light lightweight. Right. But all the lithium in the world cannot power Chicago for more than a couple of days, you know, in the lithium. So there has to be multiple technologies working together in tandem. Mm. That's the only way forward. Lithium-ion batteries are great, but um, you know, for cars and phones and laptops. But to make a big impact, we need to embrace different technologies. For example, there's something called flow batteries. Right. Flow batteries can be used to um, power the grids. Mm. 
Now, our grids are, you know, heavily, um, it's old, the infrastructure is old, it's inefficient, it needs to be revamped. Uh, so we need geothermal you know, systems. Basically, you pump water into, the, into the, the geothermal system hundreds of feet down into the ground. It heats up, comes up as uh, steam, mm-hmm. and you use that to, to run the turbines and make some energy. Or there's something called flywheel systems. Okay. Flywheel, you know, these are huge, like tons, um, um, and, and they they just rotate, you know, like a, on a bearing. Mm-hmm. But because they're in a closed system, they can go on for hours, and it can store energy that way. Kind of like an alternator. Exactly, yeah. Okay. These are huge, extremely efficient flywheels. Mm-hmm. So those uh, flow energy, flow batteries, solar, uh, you know, it has to work in tandem. There, there are systems, basically, the solar works in tandem in such a way that it powers the, the house directly, Anything that is extra needed or deficient, that is that can be powered by the battery. So multiple technologies working in tandem is the only way. Uh, but batteries alone cannot make it happen. What's what's the major difference between an alkaline battery and a lithium-ion battery? So uh, in lithium-ion battery, it is the most popular one. Every iPhone, every Android phone has the lithium-ion battery. Mm-hmm. Basically, what is happening is the ions that move between cathode and anode, there are two ends, just like you know, positive end and the negative end, right? Mm-hmm. So these lithium ions shuttle back and forth thousands of times. That's what we call it. So when you, when you plug in your phone at night, what is happening is all the lithium ions are being shuttled back from the cathode to the anode. And then when you start using it, all those things slowly come back. So it's imagine this, anode is like the top of your building, mm-hmm. 10th floor, cathode is the, the basement. And whenever you charge it, you all the lithium ions are being shuttled back to the top of the building, and then you slowly let them trickle down. And in the process, they make your devices run. And that's lithium ions, small ones. Yeah. But in the alkaline batteries, it's a different, which is, you know, potassium or uh, sodium. Right. And okay. the, the electrodes are different. The configuration is a little different. The electrolyte is different. Mm-hmm. So, so similar ideas, but different material systems. Mm. So, <clears throat> so based upon the, uh, based upon the composition that determines the, the extent or limitations of its application. Exactly, but also alkaline batteries are less energy dense. For the same volume and weight, lithium ions will have five times the energy. Hmm. And that's why we run our phones using lithium ion, not alkaline batteries. Right. Um, you know, you can imagine, you know, back in the 90s, we had Walkman, Sony Walkman with AAA batteries. Yeah. They would last for maybe a couple of hours. Yeah. Um, but um, the same kind of, with the same volume, if you insert a lithium-ion battery, it'll go for probably two days. Mm. Okay. Now that took a while. That took a while for us to get to that point where we had these smaller batteries, right? That's um, right. What's the what is the what's the timeline generally um, from it being used on a like for, 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 from NASA? to us being able to use it to power a telephone. Sure, um, so there is, so when people think of you know, timelines, there is a famous one called Moore's Law, which is in the, in, in the electronics world, every one and a half years, the capacity of the processor doubles and the number of, you know, so imagine the memory um, used in 1990s computer was so less hard drives were only like 2 GB and it would take up like a whole bunch of space. Mm-hmm. Every year we are seeing now in, a, in, a, in, in like probably like one centimeter, like tip of your thumb, you could have like 128 gigabytes of storage in a small SD card. Yeah. And that's the rapid progress in electronic industry. But that kind of progress has not been made in the battery industry. It's not that fast. That even though lithium-ion technology came about in 1990s, it took almost 20 years to get to the point where we can run our phones. Mm. So, what people are working in Tesla, you know, NASA right now will make it to our lives probably in five years, because it's just too expensive. Mm-hmm. The problem is cost. 
all the lithium-ion batteries, most of them uses something called cobalt. Okay. Good. Cobalt is 60% of the world's cobalt is in a small place in Africa called Congo. Yeah. And that has a lot of problems, corruption, child labor, human resources, you know, violation. Mm -hmm. As a result, there's been, you know, it's a, the cost of cobalt is increasing exponentially and it is not sustainable. It's, you know, it's making, you know, causing issues for electric vehicle manufacturers. Mm -hmm. So people are trying to find different chemistries, different lithium ion, you know, systems, lithium air. One, so basically, if you didn't know, Chicago, close to Chicago, we have a big national lab called Argonne National Lab, yes. which is like the mecca of lithium ion research. It's one of the biggest centers. It ha um, they are working on something called lithium air battery, which lithium is super air. light, mm -hmm. lithium air, yeah. but it'll have five times the capacity of our you know, normal lithium ion battery. And there's something called lithium sulfur battery that people are working on solid state electrolytes. Basically, the biggest problem, you know, why, you know, you, everybody knows about the Samsung Note right. saga, right? Mm -hmm. uh, people that were, they were exploding left and right. Yeah. Why? Because uh, some of the electrolytes at certain conditions can catch fire. So people are, that's why you can't carry more than a you know, big lithium ion battery in airplanes. It has to be in freight or cargo. Right. And people are working on something called solid-state electrolytes because even if you crash, you know, you puncture it, it won't catch fire. Its safety is a big issue. Now, is that I, I was reading that in some of these configurations that there's an electrical, there's like a computer uh, interface that regulates the, um, the, 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 the chemical reaction within the battery? It's called... So maybe you're referring to something called battery management system, BMS. Okay. BMS is what limits undercharging or overcharging. Let's say you 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 didn't you forgot to charge your phone for seven days. Right. It gets to zero and then shuts down automatically. It won't. So there's a point beyond which it becomes battery becomes irreversibly damaged. You can't revive it. So to limit that. When it gets to zero or you know close to zero, it shuts it off, and then again, it, when it reaches hundred, it shuts it off. You don't want to overcharge it and then destroy the battery. Right. And it also monitors in a big electric car. There are thousands of cells, small cells. It monitors, makes sure every cell is in good temperature condition, everything is happening correctly. So there are electronics in inside the battery that monitor all these things. Mm. Okay, you know, let, let me go back to you were making mention about. Uh, in the Congo, it being the, uh, the, the, the basically the only place where you're going to find those huge stores of cobalt. Right. Um, so th that brings up the um, uh, geopolitical uh, concerns. That's right. Is that something that is uh, how how much how, how much does that impact research overall? Um, maybe not just with regard to the the need for cobalt, but just because uh, you also do research within a uh, nanotechnology as well, right? Right. So, how much is that a factor? Cost, you know, you know, whatever research we do, if it doesn't make it to the real life, it is of no use. Right. So, people are trying to find chemistries which doesn't need cobalt as much. There are, there, you know, there are places where we need to use cobalt. That's fine, but we are trying to find chemi cobalt-less chemistries. Um, and how much of it is important in research, it's pretty important. So for example, this, let's say somebody has an iPhone X10, right? Mm -hmm. And the cost of lithium, the pure lithium, not the battery, not the processing packaging, just the cost of lithium, pure lithium is let's say $40. If you make the same battery, iPhone 10 battery using sodium, okay. sodium that is found in seawater, Instead of forty dollars, it'll be fifty cents. Really? Yeah, it's a huge difference. Why are we using then lithium instead of sodium? Because sodium is much heavier and it's not as efficient as lithium, and it'll be much bulkier. So it, you know, your iPhones will weigh three times more, maybe four times more, if you make a battery out of sodium, and it'll only last maybe like two hundred cycles. So there are challenges with sodium. So people are working on different, so research is happening in these directions. Uh, maybe we can't make it for phone, but you know, for grid, grid scale storage, you don't care about weight. Right. 
So you just put a big station and then it will stay there and then it can work. So research is happening in those directions and it's pretty important, you know, we, we don't want to use up all the cobalt in this world just for batteries. There are multiple applications where we need cobalt. Mm -hmm. So as, as a matter of responding to, to climate change and our car, reducing our carbon footprint, yeah. uh, these are things that um, I guess that every researcher uh, and, and manufacturer, I guess, as well, would, would be constantly aware of. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, California is at the forefront of this. There's a manufacturer by name Volvo. Yeah. They said from 29, from next year onwards, all their cars will be hybrid. There's no pure gasoline cars. And it is the same with many, many manufacturers. People are jumping on electric bandwagon because that's the only way forward. Mm -hmm. you, you, know, um, you know, what happened with OPEC? how it changed yeah. the, you know, the business relationships in Venezuela mm -hmm. and then the shale gas in America. Mm -hmm. So much, it's, it's a billion dollar market, small changes here and there. But that is, you know, two weeks ago, we had the hottest week in the entire history where hundreds of cities across the world experienced 100 plus temperature, 100 plus Fahrenheit or 40 degrees Celsius. Yeah. And you know, we live in air-conditioned buildings. Imagine hundreds, millions of animals and insects, you know, they have been on this planet for thousands, millions of years. Suddenly in the last 50 years, the, the, the numbers are going down like crazy. They're, you know, we are c causing all kinds of problems. You know, if we go at this rate, it is not sustainable. I mean, animals will die. We will be uh, air pollution and population. So considering all that, we really need to take into account, okay, you know, we need to move towards electric vehicles are just small part of it. There are hundreds of other cases, you know, the way we use um, electricity in our houses for food and heating, right. if we can bring, you know, sustainable technologies into that, that'll be great. Um, the meat industry is a big contributor to um, the, the 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 global warming gases, which is methane and carbon oh, dioxide. Yes, yes. So we need to reduce on that. Mm -hmm. There are multiple variables here. It is not just the cars. How soon? Um, how soon before? Well, we we see people now with solar panels, you know, mm -hmm. on their homes. But how how far away are we from people from homeowners being able to produce their own electricity? Aside from, um, uh, aside from using solar panels, before that's more of a, where somebody could maybe just get a do-it-yourself kit and set up their own, you know, maybe windmill or, uh, or, or some other apparatus that would allow them to generate electricity uh, on their own. You know, Tariq, do you know, there's a f fun fact. If you cover just 35% of Illinois, the state of Illinois, with solar panels, yeah. the entire United States can run purely on solar power. Really? Yeah. All it takes is that kind of, you know, scaling up. But then where do you store the energy? So, you, you know, at night when you want energy, you know, when you want electricity, you, this should be, it should be stored. So, um, solar is probably the most dominant one. To produce electricity using windmill at our own stations, it's pretty difficult. Um, at the same same thing with biogas or you know other technologies, mm -hmm. but solar is you know every day f without fail at least for eight to ten hours we have solar power. Mm -hmm. So we uh, that's probably is the most dominant. Other forms of technologies in our homes uh, pretty difficult because the scale with which you know uh, if you put a big windmill on top of your building mm. it can power probably your laptop desktop and phones <laughs> that's about it huh? <laughs> you can't run your ac wow 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 okay all right well th there's work to be done yeah <laughs> i see all right uh radio sound family we're talking with ravi kampaya he's a phd student at the university of Ch uh, illinois chicago and uh, working on lithium-ion battery materials we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in just a minute.
Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872 806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. My name is Sue Smith. I'm 38, and I work at a graphic design company. And the teenage me would tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for Big Brother's Big Sisters. My big sister showed me early on that I could do anything. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this 8-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brother's Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brother's Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we're broadcasting on WCV 1450 AM, streaming live at WCV1450.com. You can find us on social media and wherever you get your podcast at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And if you'd like to give us a call throughout the remainder of our time with you, you can do so at 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. All right, folks, if you are just tuning in, our guest tonight is Ravi, uh, Ravi Kampaya. He's a Ph.D. student at the University of Illinois, Chicago, uh, focusing on uh, lithium-ion battery materials. And we've been talking about um, uh, energy storage and uh, its development. And we've actually even um, ventured a little bit into the, uh, some of the politics of it. So uh, on that note, my next question is going to be, uh, you mentioned about Volvo and right. how they have made a, 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 an organizational corporate uh, commitment, yeah. right, to say that we're going to, uh, beginning in, is it 2019 or 2020? Next year. 2019. Yeah, 2019, that all of their vehicles will be hybrid vehicles. Now, uh, and it's, it's interesting, sometimes you have to see corporate responsibility before you see governmental responsibility. Right. Um, what are some of the, um, uh, what do you think about it? Do you think that we'll, we'll get to a point where uh, the United States government would enact policies like that to, to say that we're going we're gonna, to uh, take some responsibility with, with regard to our carbon footprint, even though we can look at EPA and say that, you know, obviously that, 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 that's not a, that's a, it's a non-starter, but, uh, but just to hear your thoughts on that. Well, um, I don't see this government making big progresses progress in that direction um, they've already put tariffs on some of the technologies electric batteries motors things that could really make a difference mm -hmm. they have uh, put tariffs on it which is uh, really disappointing um, at the same time it is the corporations that can set the tone 
they say, you know, we are going to stick to these values and make it happen. They can do it. But the government is not just one person. You know, it's a conglomeration of thousands of people, and there's huge lobbying from different corporations, self-interest groups. Right. Uh, if if Koch brothers say, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to give you 20 million for your next election, and I want to put this solar. No, I don't want any solar panel manufacturer in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, how are we going to have any solar, you know, revolution, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So we have to fight all these forces. Yeah. That's what is limiting the progress. The technology is there, but the government has to be pro- you know, proactive and make it happen. The great example is the country of Norway. In Norway, if you have an electric car, and actually, the, the Norway is the number one consumer of uh, Tesla. All the cars made in Fremont, California goes to Norway because they get 30% off straight off the bat and no taxes, free parking in the city, free tolls. Wow. And and free charging. Really? Yeah. Yeah, in Norway. You go to Tesla, you go to Norway, every other car is either Nissan Leaf or Tesla. Hmm. And you know, when you make that kind of policy change at that level, people are going to take it up. Right. But now, if you, if you instead of giving incentive, in, you know, incentives, if you put tariffs on it, nobody, you know, it's it's going to make it harder. Right. Right. Uh, is there an impact with regard to because I know you know we know the United States has a uh, has a, a foothold has a stake in the in the in oil and uh, and are trying to revive uh, coal, <laughs> right? Uh, is there an impact on that governmental stance when it comes to the research that is going on in um, in the universities. Absolutely, you know, um, funding agencies like National Science Foundation (NSF, NIH) they are the organizations that fund the research. If they say, you know, we don't have money, professors and students have to find some other projects. You know, um, it has a huge impact. The biggest strength of America is in this in the, in the great number of universities and research centers, hundreds of great universities. Right. Um, if you start curbing research in these universities, America will lose its edge. Right. And you're at a research one uh, university. Right. Right. Um, what are some of the um, what are what are some of the uh, relationships? How, how does na- nanotechnology, right? That's where I'm getting into. How does nanotechnology fit into or relate to energy storage? That also being one of the areas that sure, uh, you're researching. Sure. Now, imagine 10 or 12 years ago, let's say 2006, how many of us had phones with 10 megapixel camera, Wi-Fi, GPS, and you know, 4 GB RAM, all these things. Just 12 years, 2006, our phones were pretty basic. Yeah. Nokia 3310 or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in 10 to 12 years, our phones, actually, you know, our phones, every one of us have phones that are 15 to 20 times more f- capable than the computer that took us to the moon. The computer that was used to carry us to the moon mm-hmm. was so limited and our phones are 20 times faster and more capable than that computer. So yeah. we have, it's incredible what we have in our hands. Why is that? Because of nanotechnology. What is happening? You make the transistors super small, you know, nano-sized. You make the memory bits super small, nano-sized. Now you can pack in so, so much more devices into a small space and make it happen. And the same way, using some of these properties of materials, so nanotechnology exploits the property of materials at you know at that scale. The properties are different for nanoparticles compared to bulk particles. Okay. So by making use of some of these properties, you can make batteries that will last ten times longer, faster, or charge ten times faster, and mm. much lighter. So that's the innovation happening. In, you know, when you start using nanomaterials for anodes and cathodes. You can make the battery, make a battery that can charge. Ten. So imagine you plug in your battery, in 20 minutes it's fully charged. Yeah. You know, in, in a coffee during coffee break your battery is done. Imagine you know you can charge your car in 30 minutes fully charged. Mm-hmm. That will revolutionize. So nanotechnology can is making that happen. 
Um, it's already happening right now. We have the technology, but it's too expensive to make it mass product. You know, produced. Is, is that is that more so because of the demand? or because it just simply can't be scaled as far as production is concerned? It just can't be scaled. It's too expensive to scale it up. Okay, all right. Now, um, you mentioned the, the, the various properties um, uh, with nanomaterials. Are there certain, are there particular materials that are more suited for nanotechnology? And you know what, and I'm just, we're just throwing the word out there like everybody knows what nanotechnology is. Uh, would you give the Radio Slam uh, family, kind of a, a, a layman's understanding of what nanotechnology is. Sure. Nanotechnology basically means um, exploiting the property of materials at nano nanoscale. Right. Very, very small. Very small. These are um, just a little bit bigger than atoms, let's say, a co combination of, let's say, 100 atoms. Yeah. Or maybe 1,000 atoms. Very You can't even see with your, you know, in the optical microscope. You need electron microscope to see these things. Mm -hmm. So at that scale, so when let's say there's a nano rod, okay, a small um, small material. Now, if, when you start using those materials, okay, to give a very general understanding of this field, it's a, it's a way of, it's a way of um, treating materials at extremely small length scales and exploiting new properties. For example, when you put nanoparticles in solution, mm -hmm. you can get different kinds of colors depending on the size of the nanoparticle. And how is that useful? Let's say if you can make nanoparticles of gold, you can attach some... Um, antibodies to it and then you can use that to deliver drugs inside the system not just gold you can use hundreds of different particles which cannot be done using a bulk scale material you need to break down the material into small scale and then you have this fascinating properties whether it's electronic or medicinal or energy storage or whatever it is mm -hmm. and then you um, take advantage of that. Uh, for example, why is that our phones have, you know, the small, like a small SD card, it's less than one centimeter can hold 120 gigabytes. How is that possible? Because in transistors, we have these uh, junctions, right? That has been downsized to nanoscale. Now, now as a result, you can put in, pack in so much information. Right. So it's, it, the whole field of nanotechnology is just using, being able to use or uh, manipulate materials at that length scale and exploit the properties. So, you know, when I, what comes to mind for me is a movie from, I think it was the 80s, maybe the, maybe the 90s, uh, it's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, and uh, this, this uh, actor, Rick Moranis, his, his character, he shrinks down and into uh, a little spaceship and goes inside of a yeah. uh, human body and yeah. he's going through and all of that but uh that that's what always came to mind for that's me. right and in fact <laughs> that's the kind of devices people are also working on you can inject some nanoparticles into the bloodstream yeah and they will go to the exact spot where the defective organ is let's say in your liver yeah. or in your intestine you need to deliver drugs imagine if you had to imagine you want to pour Let's say you have a car, you open the bonnet and just pour oil all over. How is that? How is that going to get oil into that exact specific device, right? It's not going to get there. Mm -hmm. Similarly, when we consume tablets or, you know, other stuff, we are just thinking that, okay, somehow it's going to go to the exact spot. 90% yeah. of the tablets we consume or medicines we consume, it's go just going waste. Only a very small percentage of it is being used for the purpose it was delivered for. Mm -hmm. So when you... Use make use of nanoparticles, you can inject them into the bloodstream, and because of some of the unique properties, they can go find the exact spot where they need to go and then deliver the drugs. So as a result, the result efficiency is like ten times better. Mm. So just just as a as a delivery system. Yeah. Um, and and I, I would guess there's also a a connection between something like uh, we don't hear about them a lot, but pacemakers people still have. Uh, exactly. Pacemaker. So uh, nanotechnology coupled with um, 
uh, what's a direct relation to the energy storage, right? Because that's a self, uh, self-contained self power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, there's a company called Medtronic which makes the pacemakers. Mm-hmm. People are working on battery systems called lithium titanate. Mm-hmm. It's if you implant it in somebody's uh, you know heart, um, it can go on for 15 years right now. But there are right now there are technologies you implant it in somebody and they will go on till they're dead. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. And these are these like in trial or are these? in mass uh, um, usage right now? These are about to get into the market probably in the next two to three years. Okay, all right. Now, now what drew your attention, your interest? Because this is a specialized uh, area of, of, uh, of, uh, of research. What drew you into this area? Well, I really, I really wanted to do something good for the society. It's not about the money, you know. What are you going to do with money? A lot of money at the end of it. I mean, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to survive pretty well. I'll make yeah. enough money. <laughs> yeah. But what is the point of our life, right? You know, you, you know, it has to. We need to have this inclusive feeling towards everybody around us. Mm-hmm. If it is all about, if it is all about me, then you know it's no good, and I don't like that kind of living as well. So I thought, what can I do to um, you know, be useful, and I'm a materials science, you know, researcher, mm-hmm. and energy research is pretty hard right now. It is not just for the money, but you can really make a difference. You know, um, imagine if you can devise something, a solar panel and a small battery, send it off to a place in Africa. They never have to attach to the grid. They can just survive pretty well on their own, just using a small solar panel and light. Many hundreds of villages in India, where I come from, don't have electricity. Mm-hmm. And if you can, you know, it's, it is going to help us with a lot of different things. Technology, phones, laptops, cars, lighting, mm-hmm. uh, day-to-day living, all these th- things. And so it, the fact that you can make a direct impact to the society is what drew me to this field. Okay. And what what has been the... Has there been a high point for you other than your uh, than uh, bringing uh, uh, attention to the to the e-bikes, uh, the, the Guinness record? Um, has there been a high point for you at this point in your in your research in your career? Um, well, I've not made any big breakthroughs, you know, <laughs> uh, but um, we are working on some very interesting projects that could make really you know impact in the society for example um how can we make sodium ion batteries i spoke about sodium ion batteries like instead of lithium ion right we're working on some of those materials probably in a year or two we'll have some real you know publishable results um but to be honest you know uh, a big breakthrough not this not at this point yeah but but it is uh, in, in research and application, it really is about the, the long, the long game. And exactly. You know, you have to think long term. Mm-hmm. Some of the people who are really big in the field right now, they started the journey in 19, late 1970s, early 1980s. It took them close to 30 years to get to there where we are. You know, it's not about fame. It's not about just being famous. You need to be really passionate about it slowly you will make a difference you know if it is just for two years three years then i shouldn't be doing phd i should just do mba and move on yeah <laughs> yes so um how, how far are you right now i have uh, another one and a half years to two years left one and a half years okay. halfway just about halfway all right well you, you definitely on on your way yeah um well let me let me ask these other question are there particular materials? Can any material be used for nanotechnology, or is or or certain properties necessary in the material? Sure. Um, not every material can. I mean, no. You break down any material into nano size. Right. It will have some unique properties, different properties, but we cannot be. We may not be able to utilize that uh, for every material. So, for example, silicon is a great example. Yeah. Silicon is basically just mud, mm. sand. You process it and then make into silicon chips. Now we have processors, basically just another form of sand. I mean, it's it's a huge difference. It's like coal and diamond, you know. Mm. 
<laughs> huge difference. Yeah. So silicon, we are we have been able to exploit that. But when it comes to energy technologies, just because you know there is so much complexity, um, we are not at the same level of you know silicon revolution. Uh, uh, silicon is one. Um, drug delivery, medical medicine, you know, bi biomaterials. That's another big uh, area where nanotechnology has really made an impact for cancer treatment, uh, brain stroke, mm -hmm. how to treat brain stroke. So these are areas where people are, you know, really utilizing nanotechnology. But in day-to-day -day life, you know, for example, to make a knife or to make a wooden chair, you know, really don't need much of a nanotechnology. Right. But uh, how to make the paint or a coating on this wooden table, maybe we can use some of those nanotechnology because then you can make coatings from nanotech uh, nanoparticles that will have, um, for example, University of Michigan came up with a technology where you, your windows, it's transparent. At the same time, if you because you're coating nanoparticles on it, they act as solar panels. It's transparent. Really? At the same time, they act like a solar panel. So you know what, what really uh, captivates me, and I'm going to have to look into this, is the production, like not just the, uh, the invention of like, you know, the, the nano uh, particles, but how these things are produced on such a large scale where they can be uh, utilized in, you know, in, 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 the, in the marketplace like that. Production is one big challenge. At the same time, safety if it is not disposed properly. Mm -hmm. For example, you take in a lot of, let's say, you know, um, you start using the super fancy detergents, like, you know, for cleaning your clothes. Yeah. And the water gets into the drainage system. These nanoparticles make their way into the lake and then settle down on the bed and then kill the bacterial or, you know, the, the fish in, the, in, the, in, in these areas. So it's a big concern, you know, carbon nanotubes, they they can get into the system of fishes, mm -hmm. but um, they don't di they can't digest it. Oh wow! So silver nanoparticles used in uh, cosmetics is a trillion billion dollar industry. You know, whiteners, foundation, all kinds of material people use. Right. They all have titanium or go uh, silver nanoparticles, apart from silicon. Mm -hmm. These silver nanoparticles is is not you know it's it's harmful if you if ingested not just in humans. Several animals, sea animals, sea uh, um, animals. Uh, uh, so, how you dispose them? It's a big challenge. People right now, it's just taking off. Nobody's paying attention to it. Uh, but uh, very soon, when you know, when, for example, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia yeah. has lost its color completely. Yeah, it's such a tra tragedy. Why? Because of the changes in the pH and nanoparticles and all that stuff getting into the water without the right kind of treatment. So, so manufacturing and mm -hmm. taking care of the disposal is a big part of it. So that's going to be another another industry, yeah. just the, the cleanup. I mean, at first it was just the visible plastics and uh, oil spills and things like that, but now we're talking about things that we can't even see. Exactly. Wow. So. You know, at least in some countries here, we have some regulations. Mm -hmm. But you go to some other Asian countries, let's say China, and it's all about manufacturing. They don't really care about the environmental effects. Yeah. It could get worse. That's why they say, you know, don't consume rice that is coming out of China because it has so much lead in it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. That's why, you know, be careful what kind of rice you, you know, you, you know, use. Just because it is cheap doesn't mean it's good because where they grow, water has lead nanoparticles and all kinds of stuff. Right. So we need to be aware of all these things. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I hope you all heard that, Radio Slam family. Uh, check your rice. Check your rice. Make sure your rice is uh, it's safe. <laughs> I, I, I really was not aware that we were importing rice. Um, yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess that, that, that's one on me. Um, <laughs> Robbie, uh, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, we appreciate you being here. Uh, and tell folks again that, that Guinness that Guinness record that you have one more time. Well, first of all, Tariq, thank you so much for connecting and you know having me here. It's a pleasure, and 
the Guinness record ride was just to promote sustainable transport. Yeah. He, it's on the Guinness website. It is the longest journey on a motorized bicycle. Yeah. Um, okay. f- from Madison all the way to San Diego. So, you know, hopefully the conversation was interesting and, you know, we together we can make a difference for the next generation. Yes, God willing, God willing. And and, and keep us up to speed. Um, Absolutely. As, as, as the new research uh, uh, develops and uh, because these are things that affect all of us. And yeah. so, uh, and I, I say in all, in all earnestness, uh, we pray for your continued success, especially since you are working on behalf of all of us. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. All right. Uh, Radio Sound family, uh, we thank you for tuning in tonight. We are coming to the, to the wind down. Um, I'm going to be making an announcement. Uh, there is a, you know what? I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to give it to you tomorrow. But I'll tell you tomorrow. Uh, join us tomorrow, 6 p.m., same time. Our guest tomorrow is Jay Mahal Green. Um, he is a uh, Black Lives Matter uh, activist. And actually, I hear that he has thrown his hat in for um, uh, contention for the mayoral race of Chicago. So this will be an interesting conversation uh, tomorrow. So we invite you to join us at the same time. Make sure you are subscribing to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Google Play, SoundCloud, iTunes, Tune, um, whatever the other one is. I can't think of it right now. Who is it? Tune in. Yes, tune in at Radio Islam USA. And let us know what you think. If there's a topic that you'd like us to cover, a uh, guest you'd like for us to talk to, uh, Hit us up on on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. All right. That being said, we're going to thank our engineer over at WCEV, Ramon. Thank you very much, sir, for making sure we come through loud and clear. We thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, assistant producer, Ibrahim Baig. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. All right, family, we're going to leave you now as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.